We are back in the GOAT Zoom room. Welcome back. I'm Caitlin Freed. That's Andy Villanueva. And we are joined today by a special guest, the host of the podcast, That's What G Said, Gino McCullough. What's up, guys? Hey, guys. Hey, Gino. Uh, So I don't know if a lot of people know this, but LaSalle High School probably has the most um, race trackers per capita in Southern California (laughs) next to Arcadia. (laughs) You're right. You're absolutely right. Right up there, like about five minutes above Santa Anita uh, in the bougie Sierra Madre, like top of Pasadena right there. You get a lot of people who in that area have a lot of money. So uh, a lot of people that are involved owning horses or like to go to the track with their friends uh, on the weekend. So it was definitely uh, I would go on off campus lunch when I was a junior and then when I was a senior and I could drive right down, make a couple bets and come right back. And then when I was a senior, I was also on um, student council. So I had the ability to kind of like write a note and get myself out for a, a little while to work on stuff. So get myself out for 30 minutes earlier for lunch, go down, make a few bets, good to go. So were you 18 when you made these bets? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I was, was just checking. Yeah. And if I wasn't, I had a fake ID, so I'd have been good either yeah. way. <laughs> uh, did you have Matthews for econ? John Matthews for he was he was the dean at that point. He wasn't uh, doing he wasn't teaching any more classes, but he was dean. I'd see him every time I'd go down to Del Mar, and he was uh, one of the head ushers over there too. And uh, he he actually came up to me when he saw me on TBG afterwards, and he was like, "Man, I'm really proud. You're doing a great job." So it was it was cool. He he um he saw me at Hollywood Park my senior year, like during Christmas time. <laughs> so. Uh, because he used to work, he used to work the drive, he used to work the gate at Hollywood Park for the money, for um, for parking. So uh, in January, when we came back to school, he brought me aside and he said, look, he goes, you're, you're flunking the economics. <laughs> and I go, okay. And he goes, he goes, I'll make a deal with you. You don't even have to show up for my class. Just go run bets for me in the morning. <laughs> and I go, oh, okay. So because my cl- his class was a first class every day, I would literally never show up for his class. I'd have the bets on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, run the bets, come back in the afternoon or come back for the next class, drop off his tickets, and then I'd go through class and then I'd get an A. That kind of thing just wouldn't go, wouldn't fly nowadays, right? Now fly, but that's the greatest thing ever. I know it's just such a different time from yeah. yeah, you know. I mean, I mean, you think about it. Jude Feld went there. Um, yeah. Tom Bell went there. I mean, there's a ton of race trackers that went there, and um, it's kind of like a little fun little club to have. Yeah. Because you think about it, you get all these people that are like professionals and everything when it comes to race, when it comes just to the business side of stuff. And then they have like this little dark corner of, of the gambling <laughs> mech of the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think a good topic to bring up today, since we have Gino and he's, we, we all have a different demographic in racing is the state of racing in the States. There's been a lot that has already happened this year. And of course, last year, big years for sport racing. I've got kind of the Midwestern Kentucky area. Andy comes up here a lot. He's in Texas and you know, you're in California. So what is your take on all that has happened in racing as of late in the U S you know, I got to say, um, the, the vibe in California is, is a lot better now than it was six months ago or a year ago. There, I mean, things were looking really, really bad. The, like the horse population in general, and, and maybe every time you look at a, you know, like a, 
the the races they're not always the deepest but i gotta say the the first few weeks of santa anita have been pretty good like it feels like so far they've been doing a pretty good job and all over what i i think i've seen a little bit more in racing in the last year is uh because of the pandemic because of racing i I feel like i've seen racing try things a little bit more and like i'll be the first to 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 say that's wrong we can't do that we can't do this but i think i'm seeing a little bit more um a, a little bit more uh, like good like just good vibes towards the fans even like we talk about sam houston a lot andy and i love sam houston like to me i love seeing a track doing the things that sam houston is doing out in texas low takeout they just they get very uh, active on social media they're bringing in a great team to help them out with their handicapping um that kind of thing i like that i want to see um it, i think in california you got to kind of do things a little bit differently for, for California to not be in the news. is kind of a good thing, right? Because for a while there's been so much bad news that as long as there's not bad stuff happening in the racing world for a few years, you can sort of, you just want things to be quiet, sort of be okay. And then you're never going to really build back up, but, but maybe take the best approach is like, what's good for, for, you know, California is it, it's going to be a, I have to be like a three day, type of racing circuit is it only going to be a friday saturday sunday type thing for socal tracks that it's hard for a lot of people that work at tracks but that that might be what we have to do here so i guess no news is not bad like no news is okay news when we're dealing with california right now it's much better than like a year ago right now at this point year and a half ago with everything going on all the bad media all the bad publicity days being shut down horses over and over being uh you know like crazy bad accidents out on the racetrack things have been safer safer is good safer is good right now i definitely want to speak to that i'm sorry andy go ahead um like you said no news is good news and horse racing really is a sport where no news is good news but i really want to spotlight what nate and aiden and the whole team out at santa anita have done that track is just exponentially safer than what it was. I mean, they just redid the track. I know they're taking such better care of it and all of these precautions that have came into play last year and this year. And, you know, people say, well, this is what they should have been doing this whole time. But I just think it really speaks to their work ethic and what all they have done for Santa Anita to have such a safe year last year. Yep. They made some changes up top. They, and they brought in some new people who, to be honest, they seem like they just care a little bit more. Mm -hmm. It seemed like there were a lot of people in places of power that were just put in there to be sort of like a figurehead or a placeholder. They didn't really want to get things done. They didn't want to, they didn't really care much more about cashing a paycheck or just kind of going through the motions. And and there are some people who genuinely feel like, Hey, we're going to have to make some changes. And some of those changes might not all be positive, but uh, positive um, immediately, but they might be better for, for the long run. So, um, I, I applaud a lot of what they've been doing out here right now in Southern California. And I, I, I don't say that all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way where I'm, I'm like the biggest opponent of Southern California mm-hmm. racing for a couple reasons. One, I think, I think the lack of big fields kind of help hurts the money aspect of it. I don't think they should have a jackpot pick six. I think it should be a traditional $2 pick six or regular pick six. I also don't think, but you know, the whole situation with, with what happened a year and a half ago with the track, that, that was just the perfect storm that could possibly happen because the old guy, the old, 
the old guard was like, oh, we've, we've gone and we've sealed the track every single time and it barely ends up having accidents. But with all the rain and everything, I think they didn't take into account that nothing was getting turned underneath and all of a sudden you're having problems with horses having issues. And, you know, there are trainers that work a little hard. I, you know, I think Caitlin and I see it a lot more on the East Coast and West Coast where trainers aren't as hard on their horses as they are on the, on the West Coast. Um, you know, horses, horses don't work seven days all the time. Some horses work 14 days or maybe you'll only see one published work in 30 days. Doesn't mean they're not fit. It just means that the horse is telling the horseman what to do. And out in California, I think it's, I think it's taught to them that, you know, 30 days of jogging, two weeks of galloping, work three, work three, work three, work four, work four, work four, work five, work five, race. And, and you know what's, what's and, funny, Andy? I almost wonder if that has something to do with the weather thing. And, and it almost backfires sometimes, right? Because like there's such good weather all the time out here. You're never having to t- be taken out of your normal routine. Whereas sometimes in the Midwest to the East Coast, they got to think a little bit more outside the box. And that might be better for the horses sometimes. That might be better for keeping their longevity, getting them to race more often. Maybe you're not working them as hard in the mornings. And so when they go to race, they've got a little bit more. You can get another race out of them through the year. I don't know. It's just something to think of because I do think yeah. you're right. Like the comparison and and with the weather and there's how many times out here on the West coast is it? Oh, we couldn't really train this morning. Very, very rarely. Or we couldn't get in the type of training we wanted. Whereas you might have to take it a little bit easier on horses uh, in the Midwest and the East. And that may help a lot. Yeah. And you know, the other thing, the other problem with Southern California racing, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you had Bay Meadows, you had all the fairs, you had, you had Portland Meadows, you had, you know, you had a, Emerald Downs, you had Turf Paradise, you had all these racetracks that trainers could run their ship and run. Now you have Golden Gate, so that's synthetic. You have, you don't have really Del Mar because Del Mar's closed when Santa Anita's open. And you have Turf Paradise, but you know, nobody knows what Turf Paradise is going to decide to close. So all of a sudden they're in an island. They're not in a situation where they can run. They, they can map out a way to run. Well, since we are here and there is a big pick five going on at Sam Houston on Friday, since we're all fans of that track, you know, you guys want to discuss that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Of course, Sam Houston, probably one of the best tracks as far as like takeout and all that. And I think they got rewarded uh, opening weekend. They had a nice crowd at the track for for a COVID type situation and people actually stayed their distance and uh, it was kind of nice. There was a lot of buzz online too on social media. Like people are really excited to be playing Sam Houston this year. Again, I think uh, the last few years, the product at last year in particular, it was just the last month and a half of the, the meet was so good. The product was really good. The quality on a day-to-day basis was excellent. And I think people started catching notice. I mean, for me, Last year was the first time where I, I became like an everyday player of Sam Houston. And, yeah, I've, and that- I've, been, I've been playing – before I even moved to Texas, I, I was playing it on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, because I just thought that it was, it was a good product to have on dark days. 
the tr- the turf course is what for me differentiates like being able to play a, a nice track like that because you'll get turf horses that can come from all over you get all sorts of levels of, of racing um it, it is yeah it's really good it was one that i i would be looking at here and there when i worked on tvg i would look at sometimes just on the big days and then once they really were pushing the takeout and the low takeout and once i started realizing how much if you're going to bet as often as we do how much that matters you know um yeah it, i'm always going to give them a bunch of my bankroll yeah exactly well, so let's first, dive straight. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, let's dive straight into race six. Um, I'll let you guys have the floor. Uh, race six is a six furlong event on the main track. It's for Philly and it's for uh, Philly and Maris four and up uh, going. Uh, well, six furlongs. I just said that uh, non winners of three lifetime for a claiming tag of $25,000. And Gino, I'm going to let you start out with this. Uh what horses kind of piqued your interest in this race? I thought there was a good amount of speed uh, in here on paper. You know, you look towards uh, Maddie's music, who's likely going to be showing a little bit of speed. I thought Honey Hush, because of the rail draw, will probably end up be forced and, and show a little bit more speed there also. Um, even look towards the outside. Distorted Flash is cutting back, but I think the plan for them is going to want to be at least forwardly placed or close to it. I thought the, the, the five seeing double was a bit interesting in here, who... You know, you look at the last two races coming out of a couple stakes races uh, most recently, and they were behind a horse named She's All Wolf, who She's All Wolf is just a really, really nice animal. Um, so seeing double it has been defeated by She's All Wolf recently back to back. Prior to that was defeated by Lady Orchid, who was also in the stakes race with her. And, and let's just look at the racing, the, the form right before that. Remember the races at Will Rogers and at Oakland uh, at that point, Will Rogers and Oakland were some of the meets where nobody else was running. And those meets were very, very tough. Those races came up really difficult. I think seeing double um, for a barn who is capable off of this type of a, a layoff, they they're not like a win machine, but they've won with enough horses off of a 60 to 180 or a plus 180 day layoff. And the, the three back May 18 race, that's the race that I like. There were four next out winners that day. I think seeing doubles got a little bit of a shot in here, getting some class relief. And you look back at the Sam Houston races early last year, they were really good. Yeah. You, you took my horse. Nice. I, I was, I was looking at this race and I'm like, you know, the favorite on the outside can be beat. Yep. Um, the Danny Pish's horse, as much as I like the way Danny Pish trains, you know, this is a jump up in class. She's lightly raced. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of, and I kept look, going back to seeing double and going, okay, draw a line through those three stake races Yep. and just look at the state bread allowance. That cinema race is okay, but those two races here at Sam Houston were far and above exactly what type of, if she gets that setup that she got in that seven for a long race, I don't think she gets beat. And um, I, she's definitely a must play there. I think so. I don't know if you watched race replays yeah. the other day. Um, did you notice the one strange thing that happened on the six furlong, seven furlong shoots? Um, tell me. Do you know that horse that horse, some of those horses were breaking slow? So if you go back and watch the race replay, the reason why they're breaking slow. Cars are coming down the street oh, wow. on the way out. So they're not paying attention to 
the race, they're watching the they're watching the car go by, and then they break. So like a horse something like, to pay attention to now. Yeah, they weren't paying attention to it, and so I went back and looked at it twice and saw the same thing, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if this <laughs> is an angle I can use, because two two horses on the far outside ended up not breaking. One hopped at the start last weekend. Distorted flash on the outside. She's going to need to get to the lead. She didn't even show speed at Remington Park when they when they turned her two turns. I kind of also like the rail horse, like you said, Honey Hush, because Carl Broberg's just red hot. And Ryan Eichelberry's his guy right now. The other horse I'm, I looked at, I, I was trying to make a case for, was the two, a, a little bit Field Daisy, who... Uh, same sort of thing. I mean, you can excuse her last effort. So last out, she was just a step slow from the inside and she was last of six in a small field. She was inside. She moved up a bit, but that was her first start in a while. She needed the race. She should be a lot fitter now. And, uh, you know, the races that she comes out of prior to that, we're talking about races at Oaklawn, Churchill, Keeneland, just much, much better. If she's four to one, Stuart Elliott jumps aboard here. Uh, the horse that she was behind free came back to win a first level allowance at fairgrounds the other day. So it was a, a race that has already come back to be pretty live. I thought she was interesting uh, in here as well. Maybe another one to throw into your late pick five. Anything you saw Caitlin that you would like, maybe want us to take a look at, or are you pretty much in agreement? Pretty much in agreement. I will definitely agree with Gino on the back class angle with field Daisy. I saw that as well. And I thought, like you said, if she is around 41, definitely one to include, but I agree with what you guys said. And I hope we get a decent price on seeing double, but how many people sell the same thing we saw? That, that's the bad part about Sam Houston, right? I mean, there's some smart handicappers. What's nice is that that's the type of horse that's really good to use in a stable dual lineup. Yeah. You know, because um, anytime a horse is going to get hammered or you think the morning line is off, make sure you lock them in in a stable dual lineup because you're you're paying for them off of their morning line. So if the horse goes off in half, it actually works out in your benefit in, in that situation. So um, that's actually one Absolutely. thing I always try to do in stable dual is like, where are the lines off? Even if you don't love the horse, if you just know that you're going to get some value there. It's probably a smart one to, to move to use, you know. We're going to go to the seventh race. Seventh race is a seven furlong event for Phillies and Mares, four and up, going at for a claiming tag of 15,000. And it's a non winners of two lifetime. And, and uh, Gino, do you have a choice in here? A throw out, maybe? Uh, yeah, I. I like, I thought they will probably use a few in here. Uh, I do think the three La Rosa drive is probably. Like, not a favorite I'm completely trying to beat. I'll probably use with one or two others. Um, I thought the five Marches May was was one that I'm the most interested in. I think there's some upside with this filly who, you know, you look at some of her poor races, they were actually in, in really tough spots. So she lost a horse named Fire Corral, who came back to win a first-level allowance. And then in Fire Corral's next four races, she lost twice to Swiss Skydiver and twice to She Dares the Devil, just to give you an idea of, like, who Fire Corral was facing um a couple starts back she lost to a horse who came right back out of that race to win again by nine lengths next time out so when she's been defeated she's been defeated by some nice horses and seems like she's kind of on the upswing on the improve and you know she had some issues this is really probably going to be some like her best races moving forward now with the third race under her belt last time out and she starts to feel like uh, a horse who can sit has a little speed. I like it when you've won a mile and now you turn back the seven furlongs, especially when you've got a little tactical speed like that. So the, the five marts is may 
will be uh, will definitely be on my pick five and pick four tickets. How about you, Caitlin? One horse that I was really, really interested in, and I mean, I hate to sound lame because it is the favorite. I think La Rosa Drive is going to be one of the strongest favorites in this pick five. You know, the Diodoro Barn is hot no matter where they go. Ty Kennedy is a good rider. So if you can't beat them, join them. I would, like you said, include maybe the five, but I think this could potentially be a single. She had a legitimately brutal trip and it does not talk about it very much in the running lines either. Uh, She was a step slow from the inside and then she wanted to go. And so she's, she got a little room and she, it looked like she thought they were going to be able to get through on the inside and they couldn't. So then she had to back out and move around. And that was the difference between winning and losing the race. And this is the best part about racing is the gambling aspect of it is because you're always going to find one person that's going to take a stand on a favorite. And I am so against La Rosa Drive right now. It's not even funny. Well, it's funny because she likes the three of us all sort of feel different. Like you are mm-hmm. completely against she's four. And I'm like, this is a favorite that I don't hate, but I, I you know, not necessarily don't one I want to check it. out, but it's funny. It's funny. That's how it is with three different people, three, like slightly different, different opinions. And I mean, and I mean, I, I see the points everyone's made me too. Yeah. But here, here's the deal. I remember when Chapman had this horse two years ago in the summer, right? And she should have won back then, and she didn't. And it took them to get to a main 30 at Santa Anita to win. And then they ship them. Then, then all of a sudden, she shows up at Remington Park after being with Hoffman's. And to me, that either A, I mean, obviously, she was, she was sold privately. Uh, to go over to Deodoro, but Deodoro doesn't win at Sam Houston. He was cold last year. He He's over three already here at the meet. I just don't see it. I just, the reason I why see it. I feel like I, I don't want to completely toss her is because I just think she's the quickest in here too. That, mm-hmm. that like, if she didn't have any speed, I would, I'd be like, let's chuck her. But she might just end up on the lead, and there may not be a lot of pressure for her in this situation. Those are the ones that I have a harder time leaving out than the the, the slower ones early. I mean, you know, I mean, in all fairness, I mean everybody else is running in the fifty buyers or less, and she ran a seventy last out. So if you're if you're a buyers player, you got to use her. Yeah. Right. Um, and a lot of it depends on how you approach the rest yeah. of the sequence too, right? Do you yeah. have a single later on that's like a – or or do you think it's chalky? This is the race where you want to go against the chalk. A lot of it depends on that, you know? I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you who, who kind of interests me and all – and it's basically because, you know, Asmussen, Asmussen owned trained horses at Sam Houston Race Park do so well here, and – He's running her back here instead of Fairgrounds or Delta. And that says a lot to me, not to mention he points for this meet every single year. And if you're going to get an eight to one on an exotics like this, you have to throw it in there and it, she's going to show speed. So I, and I mean, if you go back and you look and see who she ran against, I mean, yeah, maiden special weights or the main claimers that she ran against wasn't the toughest group, but I mean, those are serviceable horses that she ran against at Churchill. And so, I mean, she ran pretty well last time out, too. 
Yeah, she ran pretty well last time out too. She yeah. she was three deep and in between horses, which is never like an easy trip when you're wide and in between, you know? So that's like a double difficult type trip. I, I think she'll probably be like five to one. This is like an, another really great stable duel type horse because if she does get bet a little bit just on her connections, it's nice to have her locked in at eight to one. I think I have her picked like like co second, third in here. I think she's probably a must use in your late pick fours and pick fives. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Now we're going to go over to race number uh, eight on the card. It's another tough race. I love these non-winners lifetime races because you actually got to know how to handicap to, to get bang for your buck. This is a non-winners of three lifetime claiming price 25,000 for four-year-olds and upwards. These are for Colts and Geldings. And Caitlin, we're going to let you pick the first horse. I'm going to assume based on the weather that the one is probably not going to be um, in. in. Okay, well, I actually went with a price in this race. And knowing me, you'll like this. A lot of it was based off of pedigree. Declaration of War has not faltered and has been so awesome as a stallion. That is one of the best stallions we have ever let go from this country. So I really like the two Declare War. His buyers are pretty good in here. Um, not too bad. And, you know, he's, he's had a couple rough trips lately. Um, it looked like two back and three back, he really wasn't much of a threat. But his last others, aside from those two races, he's kind of rallying a little bit. Um, like I said, based off pedigree, declaration of war. And another angle that I really liked pedigree-wise is there is no better broodmare sire right now than Bernardini whether it be dirt, turf, whatever have you. So just based off that alone, I really like the two declare war. And I think if he sticks to around 12 to one, that's a really great price. Go ahead, Gino. This is, uh, you very rarely hear me say this and maybe ever. I have absolutely no idea what to do in this race. I mean, none, <laughs> none. I'm going to press all. I, I'm really going to do, I'm just going to press all. I, I'm going to, and this is a big field. So it's, it, it's, I like the two horses. I, I would like, if you, if you put a gun to my head and said, I had to pick one horse, I would, I would maybe go to the 11 Metropole. Um, I just think there are going to be like six or seven horses that are five to one ish in here. It, it feels like every horse, they look so much similar. Like going mm -hmm. through some of their races too and watching the replays, it's just, oh yeah, that horse outfinished that one by half of a length because they got a slightly better trip. Oh yeah, that one outfinished this one the last time because they were a little bit wider. Like you can make cases for and against any of them. I mean, who do you, th is the is Mighty Merle going to be favored, do you think? I, I I mean, I don't even know who is going to be favored in this race. So so here, here, here's, here's how I approach this race and I went in and I looked at the races and I go, okay, I'm going to throw out horses that just have a tendency to run second or third. And the first horse I threw out was Dauntless, Dauntless Prince because he just, he just always runs second or third. He loves this racetrack, but he just doesn't want to win. I mean, he's what, one for two for 28 in his career. You kind of have to, you, you kind of have to look at Jack's advantage with Stuart Elliott and go, Got to use him, right? I don't think the six, I think the six is a toss for me. Uh, the seven is a use because Ray Lou's just red hot. I mean, he came, he basically just got on a horse and said, all right, I'm going to win this meet this week. 
And I mean, he's he, he's pretty much cemented himself as the best rider here right now. I mean, it doesn't matter what type of horse he's riding. I mean, the last race this, the last race on what Saturday, he won on a big price. So, I just think I just think right now you got to use him. The Diodoro I would throw out because I just don't think he's. I, I just again, it's one of those issues with that. I'm going to use the Broberg at eight to one. I think that's also a very good stable dual play because it's eight to one, and I think you're going to get a bet down. But it would not surprise me if the favorite in this race goes off at four to one or higher. Yeah, I just, I, I never like I'm fine with going all in races when I love in, in sequences when I was I love a six to one horse in the next race. So I just want to make sure like I buy this race because if that horse wins, I want to hit it. But this is one where it was like. I was going to be seven or eight deep when you're that deep. You might as well just go all because you don't might get as well. Feel, take them all. You don't get a feel for the race. Like I'm, I'm, I'd feel much more confident keying in on either of the two races we talked about before and just picking a single or going too deep in those races or either of the two races we're going to talk about after. So yeah, that, that's going to be my approach. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things. I mean, this is, this is why Sam Houston is a really good product because if you're a gambler, you rarely see at these bigger tracks horses that are that should be four to one, five to one, but yet you go and they're seven to five, eight to five. There's not going to be an eight to five in this race. If there is, I'm I'm literally just never going to put a morning line together for myself <laughs> because then yeah. I'm completely off and I don't know what I'm talking about. Right? I'd be shocked too. I'd be shocked too. So now we're going to go to the ninth race. The ninth race is a claiming uh, is the, as I'm stuttering again, uh, four year olds and upward, which have never won three races. It's for Colts and Geldings. It's a claiming tag of $15,000, non-winners of three lifetime. And there is a couple of Dias and best little man who are trained by, oh, geez. EZA and Carl Broberg. So uh, how, how do you attack this race, Gina? I'm going to single a seven. Um, I just don't think there's any other speed in here. Uh, if good scout shows up with any sort of tactical speed, similar to what he showed in his last two or three starts, I think he's going to have a couple lengths on this field. Those, uh, those are the, some of the better races too, that he's coming out of. So he, he's got a, a tactical advantage and he's coming out of some of the better races and I don't love anyone else in this field all that much. I think he'll take some money and the Broberg entry will probably take some money. And I, I understand um, if you're looking for another, uh, like a wild card horse, if you didn't want a single or you maybe wanted to double up, I thought the eight Ardenley star would be that wild card for a really good barn who I'm expecting to win a lot of races here. They just, uh, they do a good job of spotting their horses and it may take them a little while to figure things out at, at Sam Houston. But if, if it happens, then all those horses are going to be shorter prices. So you kind of want to be on board before you can, you know, before they win five or six races in a row. And that might be the case here with a horse who like Ardenly star. What's nice is this is a horse who's been working at Sam Houston. That's why I, I like her. I like him in this spot. He didn't just come over and it's sort of like coming off the plane and we're going to, or the van and we're going to see and just take a shot. He's been here for a while. He's, he's already acclimated to Sam Houston to Texas. And so I think, you know, I've, I'm less concerned about him coming off of a long layoff, even from a different circuit, because he's been around, and, and that makes me feel a little comfortable. So I was seven eight here. 
I, I'm in agreement. I think, I think, you know, I, I look at the seven good scout and I'm like, Caldwell at the beginning of this meet, of every Sam Houston meet, he, he's just ready to fire. His horses always look great. You know, they're always on the muscle. They're dappled out. You, you just look at them and go, man, that's a horse that wants, that's ready to run a huge race uh, at the beginning of the meet. And so definitely use the seven. And again, I agreed with you on the eight too. I think if you're going to use a horse at a price, this is going to be the horse to use. And that's hard because a couple of reasons. One, she's got some backlash. She ran, she ran at Ascot. Um, and everybody will know who this horse is that she ran behind. And yeah, she got beat 17 lengths. But if you look at the stake race, she got beat by... Pina Tubo and Lou E. Fernandez and Highland Chief. I mean, that's not a that's not like some horses that nobody's ever heard of. She's got a little back class. She ran to the Delmar Juvenile against Encoder uh, or Key. This is a really this horse I cannot believe is actually showing up at a, for fifteen thousand with the class he's got. So I'm going to have to use him. Go ahead, Caitlin. I'm in total agreement with you guys. I also saw the back class in Arden Lee Star. I mean, like you said, you see Encoder, Billy Bats, Pinatubo, Lopi Fernandez. I mean, the type of horse doesn't really show up at Sam Houston very often. And six to one would be an absolutely generous price. Definitely a horse, as Juno said, would be a great one to include on Stable Duel. Um, I would probably throw in the Broberg entry just to be safe if you have a little bit of extra money because, I mean, it is Broberg, so... So now we're going to go to the 10th and final race. It's a maiden $7,500 uh, claiming event. And uh, this one, you know, these races at Sam Houston have a tendency to come up with a big price or it's really chalky. And um, I kept looking at this race and I was like, well, who am I going to choose here? Because, you know, it could be a short price or it could be a long price. It could be. Um, it could be a long shot. And I ended up going with uh, the two stone top because it's, he's going from special weight to bottom level claiming. Moonrise Kingdom. But the one horse that really intrigues me is Austin Gustafson's uh, Trinity Queen, the seven at 10 to one. Good horse for stable duel for sure. But more importantly, um, it's Gustafson. And, you know, the guy likes to gamble. And if he's going to get 10 to 1, you know, he may win. How about you, Gino? I'm not using my namesake, the number three, R. Gino, who, uh, <laughs> G-E-A-N-O, different spelling, but still uh, R. Gino. The, I, I agree, the, the two is, a, is not a, a favorite I'd leave out, Stone Top. And it doesn't bother me as much when it's like a, when it's a, a homebred taking a big drop like this you know this is a horse where they just want to win they're probably looking and saying okay this horse wasn't quite good enough we didn't pay spend a bunch of money this is one of our own horses let's put them in a spot where they can win and, it, and that's probably here for stone top i would if if i got like five to one i would probably play a few bucks to win on my, my baby's gone i actually thought her her races are both a little bit better than they look on paper they're a little sneaky in her debut race she had a good start she was sitting in the clear she was sixth but she was wide kind of all the way around it really was not that bad of a, a race in a big field it was a field of 11 she split the field that day and then last time out 
She had a good start from the rail and she actually um, had the lead going into the turn, but then she took back, she settled inside, she got shuffled back a little bit and she wasn't able to really come on again. She did make a move, but it was after getting shuffled and it was sort of a middle move and that was, that was it. But there's, there's something there with her. I think at both of her starts, she's, she's run enough in spots for me to think that at this low level, like at a maiden 75 level now, taking another drop down in class, you mentioned Gustafson. I'm just going with the other Gustafson here who uh, <laughs> I think uh, the four of my baby's gone. Yeah. So, um, and I guess we're both not as high on Moonrise Kitten Kingdom, right? If we didn't mention right off the bat, like I, I prefer the two over the six. Yeah. And I do too. Of the short prices. Yeah. How about you, Kayla? Complete agreement. Stone top all the way. Oh, there we go. You know, the one thing I did want to touch on, have you looked at the whole Saturday card yet, Gino? I have not. No, I'm going to finish up in a little bit. Actually, Jessica is going to come talk with me about uh, Phuket, uh, about that one uh, tomorrow morning. Yeah. Okay. Um, fifth race on Saturday or Friday night, Friday night, the two horse dashboard for Michael Stidham, $425,000 purchase is the dam is it tis who uh dropped half uh, a grade one winner it tis well so you get you get a very very nice colt here running at sam houston first time starter and you know the one thing i was looking for here with stidham was to see if he was going to work her on the turf because usually that's what he does with his debut horses when he's when he's got him at Keeneland, he'll work them over the turf before they get a they get a race, and I don't see any of that. But um, it'll be interesting to see how this horse runs, and I'm kind of interested that he's starting her on the turf. Love it. So, Gino, it's been it's been an honor, and it's great to have you in the fold and be able oh, to talk it. horse racing with you and. Anytime yeah. you need me. Thank you. And uh, Andy, thanks for coming online. Caitlin, I, I'll have to get you on. That's what G said sometime soon. So we can talk uh, races too. Absolutely. International races. If you ever want to talk about them. Abs de definitely. We'll preview those for sure. She, she's, international, she's the international queen, man. Oh, no doubt about <laughs> that. Those are stuff. Thanks a lot. Well, I appreciate it. Oh, it was a blast. Have a good one. You too. That was uh, Gino Bacala from That's What G Said. And that is Caitlin Free, who just went bye-bye for a second. <laughs> and I'm Andy Villanueva. And we will see you next week in the GOAT Zoom room. Uh, but another great week. And next week is our awesome week. Because We're excited. Next week, next week we will have Laura King on. And we will be discussing all things May Dan. Can't wait, Andy. I'll see you next time. Have a good one.